All right, would you please take your Bibles with me? Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Again, I want to thank you for being here. Appreciate each of you showing up. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pull out your phone, find an app. We're using the King James Version, and uh, you can do that. Be a few, few minutes here before we get actually into the passage. But uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, what a privilege it is to be here. Thank you for these uh, new members who have come into our midst. Father, we're so grateful for them, and uh, they've already expressed desire to um, serve and be a part, and so we're so grateful for that. Would you help us to be an encouragement to them as well? Father, I pray your will be accomplished here today. Father, may we know you and show us ways in which we can know you. And Father, thank you so much that you've died on the cross for our sins. You've given us an eternal home in heaven. And Father, we're just so grateful for this opportunity. Would you help us today as we open your word, help it to change our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to thank you for being here, but this morning um, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to, I'm going to be up front with you, right at the get-go, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to try and paint every single one of us into a corner today. I'm going to try and pin you there on purpose. Okay, so now that your defenses are up, okay, I want to get there with you, and I want you to do, I want you to allow yourself almost to be painted into a corner. Okay, I need to paint myself into a corner as well. So this morning as we do this, I believe that every one of us has an opportunity for growth in this area. Every one of us. No exceptions. Okay, you say, you don't know me that well. I, I know, but I know the truth that I'm about to preach, and I guarantee you every one of us needs to grow in this area. And so growth will only come, listen to me, growth will only come if we first realize that we fall short in this area. And there's not one of us that wants to hear you've fallen short. Okay? As a husband, as a father, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Okay? So I'm just getting this out at the forefront, okay? This is not going to be your favorite good, feel-good message, okay? But I think it will be a life-changing message, I believe it, if we will allow ourselves. So, your defenses are up. Let me ask you a very unusual question to start your mind this morning. So, I'm gonna, I'm, now I'm going to make you think. I've gotten your defenses up, and I'm going to make you think. This is just horrible, okay? Preachers, you're not supposed to do this. If you ever preach, don't do this, Okay? Let me ask this question. How much do you know about God? Just think about that for a second. How much do you know about God? Maybe let me ask it a different way. How long could you talk about God? How long could you talk about God? Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that everyone's answer will be different. Okay, there will be uh, some that know a great deal about God. They've been serving Him. They've been studying Him. They've been studying His works for uh, decades. They've been studying Him. There will be others who are very new to this and may know very little about God. Still, there will be others who know nothing about God at all. And there will be everything in between. We all have different levels. We all have different uh, ideas and, and knowledge of God. But here's the reality. How long could you talk about Him? I want you to seriously think about the question. 
Put a number on it. Minutes, hours, put a number on it. Days. How long could you talk about God? Now, let me be extremely pointed with you by asking you another question. How much do you know about your favorite hobby? How much do you know about your favorite hobby? Again, let me ask it to you a different way. How long could you talk about your favorite hobby? How long could you talk about your favorite hobby? How long could you talk about the outdoors? How about shopping, knitting? I don't know what ladies do, so I'm just throwing this stuff out there. (laughs) How long could you talk about your favorite sports team? How long could you talk about your business, your career, a video game, entertainment, your kids, your family, makeup, hair care products, wellness, technology, finances, cars? Again, the list could go on and on and on and on. How much do you know about these things? Again, if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably have to all admit that most of us know far more about our favorite hobbies than we do about God. We could talk far longer about our hobbies than we do about God. And Every one of us, I believe, unless you chose not to sing, we just sang a song called, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I think that's great, and I'm so happy for that, but let me ask you, how much do you love him? How much do you know of him? How much can you talk of him? How long? You see, we live in a world there that, where there's an ever-increasing amount of things that will take our time. We live with ever-increasing areas of activity and attention. But what happens is, over time, we continue to dilute our time. And every one of us that sits here is pulled in a million different directions. We're going from one thing to the next. We're bouncing. We're pulling our hair out, trying to keep up. We dilute our time, we dilute our attention with so many things that we end up like the Greeks in the city of Athens that we find here in Acts chapter 17. Paul, in the context of this, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're traveling together. And as they travel together, again, they're preaching Jesus Christ, they're preaching the kingdom of God, and all of these things begin to happen. They're seeing some amazing things happen, but you realize that there are some people that don't like this message. There are some people that are irritated by this message, and there's a great deal of persecution that comes up. And they come to a city called Thessalonica, and Thessalonica is no different. And they preach there, and there are many people that come to Jesus Christ in Thessalonica. We know that there's first and second Thessalonians in the Bible. That's where that comes from. So Thessalonica happens to be a great city. However, there are some people that did not like the message. So they plot to kill Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And so Paul gets basically ushered out of the city by some people that he's friends with, and Silas and Timothy just end up hiding somewhere in Thessalonica. And Paul is taken out of Thessalonica, and he goes to a city called Athens. 
And it is here in Athens, he is by himself. He sends back to Timothy and Silas and says, hey guys, get here as quick as you can. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 16. Acts chapter 17, verse 16, the Bible says this. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, I love this, because they were given to idolatry, therefore, watch this, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them and met with them. I love this about Paul. He can't just watch people do their thing. He's got to get in there and tell them that they're doing something wrong and dispute with them. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Watch this, verse 21. Don't miss this verse. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Stop right there. These people in in what is known as Areopagus, this is also called Mars Hill. We'll see this in just a second. These people do nothing else, get this, they do nothing else but to sit there and talk about everything new under the sun or get other people to come in to talk about everything new under the sun. They wanted to hear about this newest, latest, and greatest idea of another God. They wanted to be kept up to speed with the next best thing, and Mars Hill was the place that that happened. This is the court. This is the court where all new things were brought and heard out. But again, I want you to notice in verse 16 that this city was wholly given to idolatry. It is said at this time that the Greeks worshipped more than three thousand gods, demigods, and spirits. Did you hear me? Three thousand different gods. It is said that they had a deity for every river system, every mountain, every valley, and anything they thought that, that could do something for them, they made a god out of it. And they were ready and willing to accept any new deities that came along just to cover their bases. And so this is what's happening. Paul sees that they're going through all this. And what does he do? He goes to synagogues. He goes into the market. He begins to talk to these people. And these people that sit at Mars Hill, they're like, hey, something new. Hey, buddy, come here. Come tell us what this new deity is all about. We need to know about him. We need to cover our bases. And so Paul now has the opportunity to speak publicly 
to these people about this issue. Let's look at what he says, verse 17. Bible, verse 22, excuse me. Bible says this, And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. He begins by pointing out that after three, over 3,000 gods, they still have an altar to the unknown God just in case. Just in case they get, they forgot one, excuse me. Think for a moment about Athens. What do these men here represent? Athens was the intellectual capital of the known world. In fact, we still today talk about the intellect that came from the Greeks at this time. And if you will, they represented the best that humanity could come up with for a God to worship. They thought of everything. And yet clearly, they had fallen short as seen by the fact that they had to cover their bases with an unknown God. By the way, the word unknown here is the Greek word agnostos, which means what we get our word agnostic from. Agnostic, an agnostic believes that nothing is known or can be known about God. And so they, they are like, this is an unknown God, a God we don't know about yet, that obviously we can't know yet. And notice Paul says this, whom ye ignorantly worship. Whom you ignorantly worship. I like the word ignorant. You say, why do you like the word ignorant? Because it carries the term ignore in it. Ignore. When you're ignorant of something, it is there for you to see. You just ignore it. Look at this. It carries the idea that they did not know that they did not know how. They did not try to know how. It wasn't that they could not know, it was that they would not know. Now follow me on this. I would beg to say that there are many in this room who are ignorant of the one true God. You say, oh no, Pastor Yeomans, you're mistaken. We're here at Bible Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. We know who God is. Hear me out, please. We still worship him. We still worship him and we still come to church on Sunday and we still maybe read our Bibles and still maybe we pray, but we just do those things to hear me just to cover our bases. Just to say we put in our time. Just to say we got the check mark done for the day. We worship him just to cover our bases, but... In so many other areas of our lives, we ignore him. 
in the plethora of activities and things that are pulling our attention away, we choose, hear me, we choose to ignore God. And if we're honest with ourselves, He has truly become the unknown God of our lives. Again, we would never say this out loud, would we? We would never say, oh, I don't know God. But if we go back to my opening line of questioning, how much do you know about God and how much do you know about your favorite hobby? How we answer that just might condemn us. We might even try to excuse it away by saying, well, God is impossible to completely know. It's an impossible task, so why should I even try? I want you to consider a verse, Romans 1, 19 to 20. Think about this. Because that which may be known of God is what? Is manifest where? In them. In us. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are what? Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Hear me, so that they are without excuse. So listen, everything that we need to know about God, guess what? It's already available to us. Don't miss this, please. It is already available to us. Hear me, sometimes we just ignore it. We don't put the time, the effort, the the study, the learning into knowing God. Everything there is to know about God on this earth is already revealed. It's already, you already have access to it. So it is not even remotely impossible. It is extremely possible to know God. And Paul is getting ready to make this point loud and clear. This unknown God that you serve and worship ignorantly, he's going to say, listen, I want to show him to you. Look at what he says. Look at verse, the end of verse 23 again. Him declare I unto you. This is the one that I'm going to show you. He says this, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, Happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we move, excuse me, we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. In these few verses, we find out why worshiping and knowing God the God of the universe is the most fulfilling and the most exciting thing that you could ever do with your life. Far greater than being distracted by the other things of this life. Listen, I love the outdoors. It's so exciting to me. 
But knowing God is far better than that. You say, how do you know that? Let's walk through this. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein. I want you to write this down. Why should I worship God and God alone? God made everything. God made everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and it continues to go on. God created this, and God created that, and God created this, and God created that. God created everything. Revelation this Genesis is the beginning of the Bible. Revelation is the end of the Bible. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Don't miss this. We were made by Him and for Him. We were made by Him and for him and everything that we enjoy every hobby that we have every fun thing that we enjoy every wonderful thing that we're excited about everything was made by him and is controlled by him everything that we are distracted by is made by him and controlled by him god made everything Number two, look at verse 25. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Not only did God make everything, he gives us life and breath and everything. Genesis 2 and verse 7 and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life. And man became a living soul. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from where? From the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, variableness, neither shadow of turning. Listen to me. Literally everything comes from God. You're breathing right now. That comes from God. The strength that you have to go to work tomorrow comes from God. The ability that you have to use your mind to think through things and, and adapt and change. Listen, that comes from God. His, he gives life. He gives breath. He gives us everything. Everything is a gift from God. Number three, verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And watch this. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Number three, he knows everything about you and has a plan for you. He knows your blood type. <laughs> He knows everything there is to know about you. He determined the times before appointed and the bounds of your habitation. He knows literally everything there is to know about you. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the belly, I, what? I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. 
Listen, God knows you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I've got a plan for you. I know who you are and I have a plan for you. Luke chapter 12 and verse 7, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. We always make the joke here. God knows the very hairs or the lack thereof on your head. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows what you're feeling right now. Your spouse may not know what you're feeling right now, but he does. He knows the pain that you've gone through. He knows the struggle that you're going through. He knows everything. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your ups. He knows your downs. He knows your highs. He knows your lows. He knows things about you that you yourself are not aware of yet. And he's using those things to fulfill a purpose in your life that would be far greater than anything you could ever plan. Look at verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. This is what he wants. This is what he wants. John chapter 4 tells us that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, and God seeketh for such to worship him. He's seeking for us to seek after him, if happily they might feel after him and find him. Watch this. Though he be not far from every one of us. Write this down. He is not far from us. He is not far from us. Listen, you might feel far from God, but he is not far from you. Read it again. Read the end of that verse. Verse four. Though he be not far from every one of us. God is so omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is not far from any single one of us. Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. It doesn't matter where you go. He's there. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, what? I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Listen, he is so near to us. He's right next to us. He's with us. If we will draw nigh to him, the Bible says, he will draw nigh to us. There is nothing that can separate us. He is near us. And finally, verse 28. The Bible says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Finally, 
everything we do is subsumed in him. It encompasses everything that, he encompasses everything that we do. So listen, I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do. I don't care what what direction you want to take. Listen, everything is subsumed in him. Everything that we do is within his presence. I don't care if you go to the darkest room that you can find. Listen, he is there. It's in his presence. There is not one thing that we could ever do to escape the presence of the almighty God of the universe. We can try to run and hide like Adam and Eve. Guess what? He still knows where you are. You can try to get on a boat and run from him like Jonah did. You can go into the belly of a whale, but guess what? He's still there. We can try to be secretive like David, but he sees all we do. And is a part of everything that we do. Listen to me, don't miss that. He is a part, he is a part of everything we do. For lack of a better phrase, this is God. This is a short four or five verses on who God is. And I would be bold enough to say that this is the God that majority of us have ignored. This is the God that we have pushed aside while we've served and even worshipped all kinds of other things. These other things that have taken our time, taken our attention, when our time and attention should have rightly been placed on God. Listen, if you never worship Almighty God, these things that Paul describes about God are still true. Don't miss that. If you say, no God, I will never serve you, you realize that he still created you. You realize that he's still in and around you. You realize that he is with you you realize that all of these things are still true. You can never escape his presence. Listen, this is why God is so worth worshiping. He is a part of us. Why would you want to worship anything else? Why would you want to worship something that does not fulfill? Listen, I, again, I love the outdoors. Guess where I am not right now? I'm inside, so that means I'm not outdoors, okay? Well, duh, yeah. But here's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter where I go. If I serve God and I worship him, he's with me here. He's with me out there. He's with me wherever I go. He's worth serving. He's worth worshiping. Why would we worship something that is vain and empty? Again, I'm going to use myself. as I love the outdoors, but listen. There's going to come a day where some of you are where you hate the outdoors. It's cold out there. And as you get a little older, so I've heard you lose your antifreeze. And so you get cold. 
Listen, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more I love him, more love he bestows. Listen, everything in this earth is vanity. It's empty, and Pastor Holland's been doing a great job preaching on that in Ecclesiastes, but I want you to understand, the things that we are serving, they're vain. They're empty. Something that can never satisfy the longing of our soul. Listen, the Greeks were trying to satisfy their souls by jamming in absolutely everything they could. Anything they could think of. Jam it in, put, make it a deity. Let's serve it. Let's talk about it. Let's sacrifice to it. And in so doing, they were still as empty as before. Because they had to have an unknown God. We're not sure if we've got them all. We still feel empty. There's the only thing that would have satisfied them is that one God the one God that they chose not to know. The one God they tried to worship ignorantly. And listen, as much as we Christians that sit here at Bible Baptist Church want to say that we are different than this, we have to admit that we are not at all different. Welcome to the corner. We are not at all different. You say, I'm in church. Yeah, I know. So am I. And I know my own heart. And I know that I spend far more time watching YouTube videos of hunting and fishing than I do reading my Bible or praying or just learning more about the almighty God of the universe who wants to be known. We are pursuing anything and everything, and at best, at best, we squeeze God in here and there. Most of us will say, oh, our culture is no better, and you're right. But the Bible says that judgment must first begin at the house of God. I want you to consider 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and what? Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people. Listen, this is messages preached to the heathen Greeks. But it can easily be preached to the Christians in 2023 at Bible Baptist Church. Let's finish this story. Verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now, Commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Listen, there's coming a day of reckoning. There's coming a day of judgment. And listen, I would hope that every single person in this room today knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that one that he appointed, that one that he ordained, that one that he raised from the dead, that's Jesus Christ. But listen, there's coming a day for all of us. If you know Jesus Christ, there's coming a day where we will stand in front of Almighty God. And the words that we all long to hear are, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Let me ask you a very pointed question. Back to the original question. How much time do we spend with God? How much time do we spend with the hobby? Be honest with yourself. Can you look God in the face right now and say, I deserve a well done. Listen, that might be too haughty for any of us to ever get to. But the reality is, we often serve an unknown God. So please don't keep going like the men of Athens. Let this be our Mars Hill moment where we realize that we have been ignorantly worshiping the Almighty God And let's admit that we do not know him. Let's admit that we've been distracted by a myriad of different things in this life and we have fallen short in this area. Let's come together today and repent of our wayward actions and cleave only to the Lord our God, knowing that without him we are nothing. Knowing that he is a part of everything in our lives And he and he alone is worthy of our worship. Will you come today and worship the King of Kings? The Lord of Lords, and if I can put this one in here, the God of Gods. He is supreme. Will you worship him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Father, I pray That each and every person today would come to know you. Father, there are some that know you as their Savior. There are some that have known you for decades. They've studied. Father, every one of us can know more. Learn more. And when we do, we'll love more. Father, you continue to pour those things out on us. Would you mold us, shape us, and change us today? We give you the praise for it.